Hey, what's going on? It's Doug Cunnington here, and this is The Doug Show. In this episode, I talked to Kurt Phillip of Convertica, and that's over at convertica.org, and there's a link in the description. In this episode, we talk about conversion rate optimization, which is all about improving the conversion rate. So at the end of the day, you're making more money from roughly the same amount of traffic. And that is the assumption that, you know, revenue is based on the conversion rate, but the conversion rate can be anything, right? The conversion could actually be the number of people that maybe sign up to your email list or call you on the phone or whatever your business might be. But in this case, um, Convertica generally focuses on conversion rates on websites. So, you know, it probably is around someone clicking on a link and going to purchase something. We get into the nuts and bolts of CRO and how Kurt got his start. So as normal, it's sort of a meandering conversation. And I will I'll mention a couple things. There are links in the description for some case studies that I found interesting. Additionally, on Niche Site Project, I have an article about CRO and A-B testing from a student of Kurt, which is kind of cool. So Marty McLeod wrote the article for me because he's a little more well-versed in CRO than myself. And that's something I can't remember if I mentioned it in the interview, but I basically have done a bad job on CRO. Generally, I'm just trying to get things good enough and I rarely have gone back to go and optimize anything and definitely not in a methodical way where you can call it CRO, where you actually are are tracking and understand what's going on. Thanks again to Kurt and be sure to check out the case studies. Let's go to the interview now. Hey, what's going on? It's Doug Cunnington here and I'm with my friend Kurt Phillip from Convertica. How are you today? Good, man. How about yourself? Doing really well. And um, we're using Zoom per your recommendation. So it's mm-hmm. the first time I've used Zoom in a long time. And um, hopefully it'll be, it's perfect so far. So thanks for the tip. Since we go well, yeah. So for the people that don't know you, Kurt, can you give a quick intro about like what you're doing at Convertica and a little mm-hmm. of your background? Yeah, sure. So, so I'm founder and CEO of Convertica um, and we run a done for you conversion rate optimization service. Um, where we go in, we take over someone's website, we run a bunch of split tests and we do everything from start to finish from from setting up the test, doing the redesigns, running a test, reporting everything from from end to end on that sort of that sort of side. And how I got into it was um, I am an, uh, am an SEO. I have been since I was a teenager and um, built and sold many affiliate sites and had a consultancy and, and sort of noticed the the demand for CRO about two or three years ago. So I stepped into stepped into this market, sold off my all my affiliate sites and closed down my consulting business and then and then yeah, here we are today. So so we've run a we've run a lot of tests on on affiliate sites and, and SEO sites. So I'm sure I can share some of those insights with you guys. Cool. And like um it sounds like you've been doing SEO for quite a long time. Do you have any good um like stories of getting a penalty or anything like that oh, from course. back in the day? Yeah, I've been through. I've been through it all, mate. I've been through penalties. I've you know come back and gone into PBNs and gone through the, all the ups and downs. But it was I really got into it heavily in uh, sort of two thousand and eight. I was doing it just for fun, you know, in the mid two thousands where you didn't really have to do too much. Um, but 
in you know late 2000s i was uh doing a lot of web 2.0s as i'm sure you you remember back in the day a lot of web 2.0 link wheels and stuff and we were doing them more manually with my team and then um, started to really make some good money there and we branched off into into pbn shortly after i remember alex becker was pushing them and 2011 2012 something like that i think if i remember correctly i think it was around that time and then uh that was really when i started to get into business and i my first ever company it was a e-commerce store um we used uh, web 2.0s and pbns and went to number one within two or three weeks um, and the business really took off and that sort of supercharged the the growth the growth and that um, and then took on a few other big big brands actually around that time with pbns and I uh, got them to number one and just, it was just good timing, I guess, when, when PBNs weren't sort of smashed to bits and everyone was doing them, you know, I mean, I'm sure you remember 2012, 2013, that was just the, the golden age for ranking very quickly. You could throw 50, a hundred PBNs at a site in one day, it would be ranking within a week, you know, so. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And when I got into it a little bit later, so 2013, so kind of the tail end. So mm-hmm. just so I could like invest a lot of money and time into the PBNs and then they, I lost everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so um, but it's a, like a rite of passage, you know, you got to do it. But so. I don't know whether, I don't know whether you saw this, but I remember when, uh, cause I had a few, few pretty big clients in Australia where that's where I was running my original business and they were all ranking off web 2.0s and PBNs. And I had, I had around 150 PBNs, maybe 200 PBNs get the index when they did that massive sweep of, of the index in PBNs, 15 i'm gonna say something like that um i actually didn't notice any sites get penalized from that do you right. do you notice did you notice anything get hit so even though i lost all the pbns i still ranked just as fine i replaced the links and it seemed didn't seem to have a negative impact uh correct yeah i i had one instance where I, <laughs> things were penalized uh, <laughs> manual penalties but um yeah i know what you're talking about like big uh d-index mm. d- what word is that? The indexation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. And then no penalties, but like all the links that I had were, you know, yeah. bad. You so the rankings dropped. Yeah. 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 Um, interesting. Okay. Well, we will definitely get into the like bolts, the nuts and bolts of like CRO. But before we do, I, I noticed you mentioned like you sounded like you built a team, like even early on. So did you have any like uh, professional experience or background in building a team or like working with a lot of people or being a manager? Just curious, like what drew you no. to the agency? No, I, I didn't at all. I think it was just my personality type and reading a lot of books, I guess. I don't know because I, I'm a butcher by trade out of high school. So I went into a, a laboring job and I have no idea sort of how I picked up that skill set. But then I just worked out that I was good at, at growing and managing people. I'm not, I'm not the best. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sloppy when it comes to uh, making everything perfect. I just I have an end goal and I like to get to it very quickly. So I like to hire people that are very diligent and have a keen eye for detail and stuff because I knew I wasn't good at that. So so then I hired people who were. But no 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 specific training. Just reading. I think the the paradigm shift was you know the four hour work week and then from there going into the E Myth and then a bunch of other books that sort of uh, gave me a good framework in my own head. but Okay, interesting. I'll, I'm going to come back to that because I find mm-hmm. that very interesting. So let's get into the CRO stuff. So yeah, sure. at a high level, can you just give us like the couple bullet points of like 
what the process is and like, I guess what the goal is. So CRO, like yeah. the very beginning. Yeah. So the goal, the goal of CRO is to maximize the value of your visitors, right? So you have a certain amount of, whether it's from SEO, whether it's from PPC, you have a, let's just say you have a six month earnings of $5,000 a month on your website. You've sort of maxed out all your keywords. You know, you're at number one for all your buy, buyer intent keywords and you sort of don't know where to go. That's where we step in and we require sort of on a minimum side, sort of two to 3,000 visitors per month per page we test. Now, the process is we go in, we identify the top 10 pages for earnings. Generally, the top five to 10 pages will create nearly all the earnings on a site. I'm sure you've seen this over and over again. So then we go through and identify those and then we run split tests on those. So not only do they run, not only do they create most of the revenue, but they have most of the traffic. And with split testing, traffic is the number one, number one, uh, number one uh, golden, golden, what's the word I'm trying to look for here, is the main thing we look for when we're taking on on a site. So once we've identified those top 10 pages, we'll then go and set up the test for say five to begin with. Um, And then at the start, it was a, a bunch of hit and miss. We would just run a bunch of different layouts until until we knew what would win. But now that we've run around 4,000 split tests, we have a long list that we know have worked on previous niches. So then we'll go through and test those on on each of the sites. Generally, a test will run for, for three to four weeks um, and then we'll pull the the Amazon data because we, we set up separate sub-affiliate tracking IDs for each split test variant. So we set up two split testing variants. Um, and then we see which which creates the most revenue and then rinse and repeat that process three or four times over the campaign, depending on how long it is. Gotcha. And in the beginning, right, mm-hmm. how did you figure out like what you wanted to test? So I I was I had a business partnership with Matt Diggity and we were we were taking on a large a large portfolio of websites where they would come in, we would SEO and CRO the website and we'd split the profit that we'd make on top of what they're already making. But the issue was we had a very strict protocol when we were looking at the backlink profile of sites. We couldn't take on anything for one if they didn't have every single link listed. If they were just using different providers and they didn't know, we'd instantly dismiss that site. And I saw a ton of opportunity um, that we're leaving on the table. And then, you know, from the 20, 30, 40 sites, I can't remember how many it was, I just noticed the quick wins that were getting on those sites. So then I went off and started, uh, it was originally called CRO Guy um, on the side, and then I and then just built up a, a long list of, of uh, good performing layouts and, and things like that and went from there. Gotcha. So at this point, you have... I don't know, probably a handful and you're like, this works like 90% of the time. So you can run the test and you know, you have the data at that point and then you can roll out whatever uh, like the winning test is. Right. Yeah. So like initially at the start, we would, we only would put a client on a one month campaign because we just would go in, we'd only take sites that we knew we could get a quick win on and then we would just do what we knew would work and then that was it. So it was easy. We would only take on sites that we knew we could get a win on. So then it was pretty simple. But now most of our clients stay with us between three and six months. So we have to keep delivering value in that time. And how we do that is just from having so much data on what's worked. So, you know, if that layout works and this one should have a good chance of winning, we have a whole spreadsheet matrix of how to know what to test next. Um, And that's how the process sort of works now. Yeah. Gotcha. And what's your team look like right now? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done a we've done a pretty corporate structure. We've got I've got a, a middle management, um, and then under them they have their own departments under them. So we have uh, director of operations, we have head of customer support, and then the marketing department. We're sort of juggling around at the moment, but um, it's pretty automated in the sense of Facebook ads, Reddit, content marketing. It's all pretty systemized now. We don't really need a heavy person team we use a lot of technology to distribute it but mm-hmm. but yeah most of the team around around 15 or 16 are purely in the operations side setting up the test doing the coding um running the reports doing qa you know quality assurance before the test goes out make sure there's no mistakes making sure we're following all the seo protocols and things like that um and then yeah we've got around 25 people we've got around four or five contractors that we use quite often and then we've got around 20 full-time staff okay cool and where are where's the staff located is it a remote team yeah we've got a fully um remote team and most of them are in and most of the operations team are in in the philippines so um my head of operations is based in manila so he hired everyone in person and within his network so we've brought out a pretty pretty conventional team there but then most of the other most of the other team members are, are distributed all around the place europe um Thailand. I spend a lot of time in Thailand. So there's a few team members out there and then India. Yeah. All over the place. Okay, cool. And like, do you, I mean, are you like, Hey, I want to keep growing or what's, where do you see it going? Yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of has grown pretty organically at, you know, as you get good results, you get bigger clients and so on. And, and some of the clients we've got at the moment, are, you know, seven, eight figure clients. Now we're starting to move into a whole different market, which requires a different communication style. And if you notice our blog posts, how they've changed, if you, if you have the chance to go and have a look, you know, at the start, they were all affiliate related blog posts and how to get quick wins on affiliate sites and so on. And now it's more high level thinking about psychology and, and different techniques like that, which attracts the, the larger clients and it's working, working really well. So we're growing pretty organically. Um, the team we've set up in a way that we can scale pretty well too. Um, we, we do like a, uh, bottom to top approach where we never hire someone in the managerial position. We'll always hire someone in at the bottom and then train them up. So they understand the whole system, especially in the operations department. Um, and then, and then as they prove themselves over time and get more experience and they, they get promoted up to, to more senior positions. Okay, cool. And, um, jumping back into sort of like the nuts and bolts here. So mm-hmm. what, what tool do you use for the AB testing? So we use uh, the infrastructure from a tool called VWO, which is it's one of the big three. There's Optimizely, there's VWO, and there's Google Optimize. There's sort of the big three that are out. There's a bunch of others now too, actually, but those are the those are the more robust ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have built our own custom reporting dashboard, and they have an API, so we've created a heap of software off the back of it that incorporates with Slack and Zapier, and has we have all these automations hanging off it too, but it, it all comes down to the data processing from, from VWO, yeah. Okay. And I guess, why do you go with VWO versus like uh, the Google Optimize? Is that what it's called? Yeah, the, the, the Google solution. I just, we just found it more more tailored to what we needed. They were very accommodating in helping us scale, customizing different things that we needed and didn't need. Um, I find because they're a company that's fully invested in improving their product, like Optimize the years too, 
they have more innovations in the company. I find Google Optimize has lagged a bit because it's one of Google's billion projects that they have going on. They don't have a full focus on it. So, so yeah, they were just great and they have a great API. So it allowed us to systemize and automate. I think we'd have double the staff if it wasn't for the amount of automations we have. Uh, okay. Off it, yeah. Got it. And it, I mean, it's a fairly expensive tool and the op- yeah, yeah. optimize is like, it's free, right? From Google. For, and that's that's a pretty big misconception. It's free to a point, right? It's like the, the issue with uh, Optimize the NVWO is it's a high barrier to entry because they know they want to focus on more enterprise clients. Whereas, yeah, Google Optimize is free until I don't know how many views it is, but it's until a le- certain level of visitors and and so on that you need, and then it, it gets quite expensive. But but yeah, I mean, we pay we pay quite a bit for ours. We get but we get like four million views allowance per per month or something like that so it allows us to run a lot of tests on scale okay cool so for the the diy kind of person mm-hmm. maybe they, they're not ready yet to invest in the service or, or they just want to try it out on their own and like dabble like how would you recommend they approach um the process so you talked about like doing some split testing making sure you have tracking in place. Like, is there a way to do this without making it so overwhelming? I mean, I've got tons of, I've got tons of uh, case studies and blog posts on our blog, got walking through, you know, affiliates, lead gens, e-commerce, like a bunch of how to get started sort of blog posts. But um, in terms of, yeah, I mean, Google optimize is a great way to get started. I mean, it's, it's a free for the one or two website owner type of type of website you need i think the entry level pricing now for vwo is like a grand a month or something you know so i think they've because i don't know they, they want to focus on that that 80 20 right so i'm sure most of their headaches come from people who have free accounts so they they just nipped it in the butt and that's that's how it goes but yeah google optimizes a great way it has all the functionality you got to make sure that you have google analytics set up and it's under the same account that you are setting up the optimize account in otherwise it can cause some glitches and stuff but, but yeah that's a great way to get started it has the same functionality essentially it just doesn't have a robust api you know but no one has to worry about that unless you're running it at scale okay cool and i'll get links and stuff for the case studies that you mentioned so people can check that out of course cool. so I have, um, and, and I actually, a few of my students have some sites where it doesn't really follow the 80-20 as much because of just long tails are going after using the keyword golden ratio. So in some cases, you know, the highest traffic page is only getting like 2% of the traffic, something like that. So it's big sites, really spread out. Like, do you have, I mean, is it a good candidate for doing such testing or is it like a little bit harder to nail that down? Yeah. I mean, it dep- It all comes down to minimum traffic volumes, right? So like if it has anything for our service, we don't take anything less than 2000 visitors per month because most of our pricing is on a monthly recurring subscription. If we're not getting them a result in two months, with nothing to show for them, they're not, no one's going to be happy with that. Right. So that's what we do. But I mean, if you're running your own tests and you've got a thousand, 1500 views a month, and that's, that's enough to run it as long as you're patient and you, you set up a, a good hypothesis and you stick to it and you don't chop and change the test and you let it run, you know, then, then that's fine. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I guess the key is like, if you're getting that traffic, which I, I mean, a lot of these are pretty high traffic sites, mm-hmm. but, um, 
you could get the data and then roll it out to like a handful of other pages. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then eyeball it. Yeah. So we still, we always make sure that you track. Like, so it's, you never just roll something out if it's worked on one page or two pages, you still at least track it. So once you roll it out on another page, make sure you've set up a separate sub affiliate tracking ID and compare it to the month before and so on. Um, of course, different months have different buying cycles and so on, but you still want to track it somewhat that you're not just rolling it out blindly because we, we met a lot of people who just didn't believe in CRO and it was because they tested one page, rolled it out site-wide and they, don't, they didn't have any increase. So we, we, ran a, we ran a case study where we did that across 10 pages so we identified one layout that worked really well on one page on the highest income page, rolled it out on 10 pages, and it was a 30, 30%, 30%, 30%. Um, one went up, one stayed the same, and one went down. So you need to still always test because, you, yeah, you shouldn't just roll it out because different buyer intent from different keywords and different layouts and so on will have different, different gotcha. uh, results. Yeah, yeah, And I guess, you know, the scientific method it needs to be like repeatable so just a one-off um like an n of one is not super helpful so and how many times um, you may have mentioned it in there but how many times do you like double check or do you at this point you have so much data where you're like okay it worked here we're pretty confident no we always test we always test it so yeah we're like with we, we only really work with big sites now like as we get more supply and demand we're only working with bigger and bigger sites because we get better and better results. So um, we'll always test now because a lot of these sites are worth half a mil, a mil, two mil or more, you know? So we have to make sure that we're not just rolling stuff out willy nilly because every 1%, 2% in conversions really does matter to their bottom line. You know, a lot of investment firms we're working with now have 500 sites, a thousand websites, you know, and they're getting returned for their investors. We have to make sure that you know, each button color it has to mean has to mean something. You know, that's always a, a bad example, but but we've seen it in the past. You know, where we've changed a button color and then changed the text, and we've increased revenue by 40 percent. Of course, these are not always the case, but it does it does actually happen. It really does every now and then. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So um, another sort of like uh, I guess exception case sort of question. So you have a lot of data about stuff mm -hmm. that works. Have you had some instances where you were like this works like 90 percent of the time and then the results were different just curious if there's like some of these just weird exceptions out there yeah i mean it, it's interesting because when we're running the the tests on the top 10 pages we'll roll out what because we we roll uh i can't remember what the the actual term's called but we look at what is the quickest test we can run with the highest probability of winning um and then we layer them up. So we do the, the quickest one that has a higher chance of winning. And then the second one will be the more code heavy one that takes a while to set up and so on. But we did, we've done that before where it's looked like, you know, all the 10 pages should have had a big increase and only six did. And you're just like, well, you know, you just have to trust the data on that. And then that's the cool thing about it is now we have so much data where we can just go, okay, where this hasn't worked before, what did work? And then we'll go and change it up. And our job split testing is not really to identify the winners, but to limit the losers so that we don't have a decrease in revenue because that's at the end of the day, what we want to minimize. It's not really going to be of any help to the client if we have an increase of 30%, but then a decrease on 30% on some other ones. Right. So we have to just identify what doesn't work and then focus on, on disregarding those. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I think that that's really well put to just like, you got to limit the losers 
and you know, you'll get some winners along the way. I was playing, mm-hmm. um, poker with some friends. I don't play poker much. I'm not a gambler or anything, Same but I did yeah. much better. Um, just cause I, I mm-hmm. folded, I didn't play <laughs> when I didn't, when I didn't have anything, I just folded and I stayed in the game a lot longer and didn't lose much money. Yeah. So, that's the hardest thing with poker is like not listening to your emotions, right? That's the hardest thing. It's like, it's all numbers when it comes down to it. And it's exactly the same in, uh, in CRO. It's just all the numbers. So. Gotcha. Cool. Um, and then I want to go back to the, you know, growing the team and running a services mm-hmm. business. So have there been like any particular challenges in, you know, maybe like building the team and growing it? Um, sounds like you've done everything like pretty organically. You didn't get ahead of yourself, but any specific challenges running a service, dealing with clients, anything like that? It was, it was definitely interesting going from affiliate back into client. Definitely. Um, yeah, there was a lot of the first year was really hard. There was a lot of sleepless nights. I put in a lot of weight. It was like working all the time and um, definitely required a. I had to step back in, I felt like, into a different role. Like I had to be employed again almost, you know, like that's what it felt like after being an affiliate for so many years, doing whatever, partying all the time, you know, all this sort of stuff where I didn't really care too much. But then definitely gave me a different level of responsibility. And then, um, the, the key, I think, for me was just to find a really good partner in the operations side. That's what really helped us to grow. He, I haven't done any of the training for the operations team. And now I just tell him or ask him, don't tell him anymore because he's partner, but um, I ask him, you know, can we, can we have this done now? Can we automate this? And then it's just done, you know? So it's got to the point now where it's a really great partnership. We have a good good team members but of course there's been you know three or four team members we've brought in and trained and then they just haven't had that that drive they're not they weren't 18 players and we had to let them go like every every team but um in the last sort of the first six months of this year was a really big growth we we used uh, mad singers who's a business consultant and he helped us really put in a good framework for where we wanted to head and then what we would need to need to do to get there and then it's pretty much straight after we had a team retreat with him. We had all the managers out with him. Then everything exploded pretty quickly after that. And then we've got another team retreat in about a month and a half with him. You know, in the current stage, we'll, we'll sit down and then work out what the next stage is. So we meet up with him probably twice a year to really evaluate and he helps us. He worked for IBM and Compaq and stuff. So he has that sort of corporate worldview for the sort of tech space, which is really cool. Interesting. And I guess he helped you set up the, like the org chart and the structure yeah, so that it's scalable exactly. yeah. and okay. And the mindset and sort of the mindset for the managers on how to think, you know, and how to, he had this great saying where he says, um, always try to pass off your jobs to the people below you so that you can have more time to work on higher level things. It goes, it goes against the way you normally think, because if you're giving the people less senior than you, your work, you think you're going to be out of a job. You know, that's your initial thought process. But what we realized is that was fantastic for our, our company because then not only does everyone learn all the processes, they're always leveling up, you know. So it, um, that was one thing that really helped us get to sort of like the stage right now. Yeah. And funny thing. So I, I did that. I had like sort of a corporate background too. Mm-hmm. So I did that at my job and it, it helps other people like, grow, like you said, and actually get promoted. Like people 
don't want to do the same stuff like forever. So they enjoyed it. And it sort of eliminates your job. Eventually I got laid off because <laughs> I was like, I was getting rid of everything, but it was yeah. great for me because I had yeah. a lot more free time. And um, yeah, so that's awesome. And I guess everyone in the, on the team has that sort of mindset and you yeah. understand like, Hey, like I'm getting some, you know, I guess I'm learning. Right. Yeah. And they, they also become, it's, it's really important for them to know that they become more valuable the more people they have under them. Right. So when we can identify a new role because we've, you know, offloaded so many tasks, then we hire someone else, you know, and then, then it gets, it gets, um, distributed even, even more. So if we have one or two people that is that, uh, ill or you know, maybe they have a new, a new child or maybe, you know, whatever, then they need to take some time off work. The, the system just runs completely normal because everyone knows there's always someone to slot up into that position. If there's, if it's a more senior person, you know, or if there's a less senior person, then someone can always do that job because they taught the person below them how to do the job they were doing in the first place. So it works really well. Right on. So any other, I guess, thoughts about like CRO, especially for affiliate marketers or any, any tips, maybe something I didn't ask you that I should have. I think it's, I think everyone followed the same from what we noticed because we've worked with so many affiliate sites, everyone follows sites like yourself or, or a bunch of other, there's a bunch of others out there too, that authorities in the space and everyone follows the same layouts. What we noticed is every, almost every site or every niche will respond differently to a different layout or the way you present your offers to people because people just copy everyone else. Most of the time, no one's getting original articles written up. The guys who are actually getting the products taking photos with them are doing really well because it comes across as way more genuine. But when people are just rehashing everyone else's stuff and you see it all the time on these brokerage websites and stuff, it's just the same site, just rewritten. Um, it, yeah, it doesn't come as, it doesn't come across as, as authentic. Um, so yeah, when I say you need to split test everything, well, that, you know, that's easier said than done, but you should really, really look to one thing that we've noticed is you should always look to have the user make a purchasing decision before they go to Amazon, for instance, as an Amazon site. What a lot of people do is there'll be a comparison table in table press with 10 different products. And all it has is the name, what the rating is and one other feature that doesn't really allow the user to be able to compare them side by side. So what the user will do is they'll go over and click, into a new tab, every single one of the different products, it's really hard to compare that amount of information and a lot of them will get lost and it's, it really does compromise conversions. Um, but if you can present or condense the information for each of say the five products you're, com you're comparing in the, in the comparison table and you can allow them to make it go, yes, I want this one and then jump over and buy straight on Amazon, then you're, you're expediting the process a ton. Got it. Very good. Because then they can compare the different products side by side by just a quick glance, you know, which is what 80% of people want to do. If, you know, a lot of people do want to go down and scroll down and read more about it, which you have your mini review areas down the bottom. But most of the people just want a quick summary because they've already made the decision they want to buy the headphones or the, or the you know, the laptop or whatever. It's just they just, need to, they just don't know which one is the correct one yet. Gotcha. Very good. Well, where can people find you, Kurt? 
Yeah, I mean, our, our website's convertica.org. Um, and yeah, if you go to our blog, forward slash blog, um, there's a ton of stuff on there. And you can find my links on there, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that sort of stuff. Um, Sweet. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. And um, appreciate your time and all your tips. Thanks. No worries, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Kurt Phillip over at Convertica and definitely go check out his stuff there. We're going to keep it a little bit shorter today, at least for what I'm recording right now. However, we're going to be trying something different today. I'm going to play one of the more popular episodes from way back. I think it's episode 22 when I talked to Duke and he was giving us an update. You know, Duke's been on the show a couple of times. He's been on the the YouTube channel a couple times as well. And like I said, it was a popular episode. People got a lot of insight, a lot of emails about this one. So essentially the topic is around, um, what was it? He had, he had one site with like 500 posts and another site with like 50 or 70. I can't quite remember. So anyway, shoot me an email. Let me know if you like this approach, especially for an episode every now and then. One thing I realize is that because an episode was published like many, many months ago, um, maybe it's still interesting. Maybe you haven't heard it. And if you have time, if you're in the car or if you're working out, you're like, oh yeah, I liked, uh, you know, hearing from Duke. I'll listen to that episode again. Now I got this idea from the Monday morning podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts. It's uh, by Bill Burr who is a comedian, stand-up comedian, and it has nothing to do with um, marketing or anything like working online. Really, it's just kind of Bill talking. Some of it's nonsense. A lot of it is about sports, which I don't even like sports, but I like Bill. So I listen to the show anyway, even when he's talking about, you know, football from like years ago. And he's been doing his show for like, I don't know, over 10 years he was one of the early, early podcasts out there for the Monday morning podcast. There are so many episodes out there and Bill's been doing it for so long that you'll hear episodes from his best of that are like 10 years old. It's kind of insane, especially when he's talking about like sports from like 10 years ago, which is completely not relevant anymore. However, he's still entertaining. So I listen to it anyway. If you don't want to hear the highlight reel, if you don't want to hear the brilliance from Duke, then um, you can, of course, skip ahead and just wait for the next episode to come out in a few days. So I'm going to send it over to the best of here and do let me know via either voicemail or you could shoot me an email at feedback at doug.show. Just let me know like, hey, do you like to hear these uh, archived episodes or should I just, you know, end an episode let it be shorter and go from there. So have a great day and we'll catch you on the next episode. In this episode, we are catching up with Duke. And Duke was back from uh, one of the first few episodes and this is an update. So currently he's making about $2,500 per month from his two sites. And one of the sites... Is a little older. One of the sites is a little younger. And the interesting thing is the, the younger site with fewer posts is actually making more money 
than the bigger site, something like 500 posts, I think, something like that. So anyway, we dig in pretty deep. Duke is super helpful and super inspiring. And we go into like Pinterest. We talk about content. And actually, I'll back it up just a tad. I won't, I won't try to explain everything here. But Duke was experimenting with getting Pinterest traffic as well as really being analytical about it. So he was setting up uh, Google Analytics and some other tools to be able to track whether or not Pinterest traffic was worthwhile or not worthwhile. Interview portion over on YouTube a little while back, like shortly after Duke and I recorded this in the early part of 2019. And there was a ton of interest. So Duke has been uh, super active on my live streams over the past you know couple years basically and you know, people know him because he because <laughs> he's out there helpful uh out there being helpful answering questions and that sort of thing so that said duke has so many comments uh on that video and he went back and answered a ton of them so at the after the interview at the end of this episode i'm going to go through a few of those comments and questions that people asked from the audience and then duke's answer and then I pr- i'm sure i won't be able to shut up i'm sure i'm going to add my two cents in too so without further ado let's get to the interview what's up duke how are you doing today well it's another day in paradise even though it's raining it's still nice and uh finally got done with the move that we started back in november and so we're starting to get on schedule again and get our routine going Fantastic. So it's good. Well, I really appreciate you hopping back on for an update. So for people that aren't aware, Duke had a success story to share about uh, something like six months ago. I'll put a link if you haven't seen it so you can check it out. So this is sort of a checkpoint and you're a fixture in the, the live streams that I do. So if you're if you're not <laughs> there one day, people ask about it and people want to hear the update. So Yeah, um, it kind of made me feel good that people were asking. It's like, gee... <laughs> yeah. I must have I, I must have made an impression. Yeah, you definitely did. I mean, you're one of the it's one of the most popular interviews we have on the channel. And um yeah, I mean I guess you're just a likable guy. <laughs> <laughs> Back then you were making about a thousand dollars a month from Amazon affiliate revenue and it's been about six, seven months. So kind of update us. What's been going on? Well, Christmas season was good, but not as good as I had hoped. Broke over 3,000 during Christmas. The smaller site is doing really well, and the return is really good. The larger site did not do as much as I had hoped. So it's kind of, I don't, I wouldn't call it struggling. It's profitable, but it's not nearly the return compared to the smaller site. Gotcha. And... So you have two sites. One of them is a little younger than the other, and one of them is a little older. Yeah. Can you tell us just like sort of the breakdown, like the content that you have on each one? And if you obviously we're not going to tell mention the sites here, but like if you could give us an idea of like the approach and difference in each one. The smaller site, which is the older site by six months, it is a niche site or niche a topic site. It is geared towards businesses that use different types of products. Instead of going to directly to consumers, I instead went to a business that has a lot of questions and a lot of needs of how to do this and how to do that. 
And so it is probably 40% informational, 60% money pages. Okay. The larger site is directly to consumers, and it's a general niche category, basically a review site. I targeted 22 different product lines, Mm -hmm. uh, not brands, but types of products, and then did, oh, between 15 and 30 posts per each product. It is probably 20% informational and 80% money pages or targeting money keywords. Gotcha. Okay. And over there, it sounds like you, if I do my math right, you have a few hundred articles on the larger site? 540, I think. Okay. Did you write all that? No. (laughs) There was a lot of lessons I learned with this larger site that uh, uh, is serving me well now, but was quite the struggle at the time. I didn't write, I might have wrote 10 of them. Cool. Okay. All right. What I want to do is dig in on that larger site. And when did you start that one? Last December. Okay. So last December. So that is like 2017, right? December 20s. Like. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. We're in 2019, right? Yeah. 2017. Yep. I get this question all the time, right? So it's like, oh, I, I found several different product line keywords. Can I create a general site? And my answer is, well, I wouldn't do that and I never have. But people do that. And I have seen some that make money and they're successful. But usually the cautionary tale that I give is like, well, that means you're competing against like the wire cutter or other very right. large sites. And typically, you're spread too thin, there's a lot of content that you have to cover, and you'll never finish, right? It's like a never-ending battle to catch up. It's always a compromise. So again, I've never done it, but from my observations, that's what I see. So what, what do you think? What did you learn? Well, I had heard the same, you and others say it wouldn't be recommended, but I'm kind of a, I have a little bit of a contrarian personality in me. Sure. When somebody says you shouldn't, I, sometimes I do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and I also wanted to test my skill to see if I could. Would I recommend it? No, for two main reasons. A, the competition is a lot tougher. And B, to get Google to see you as relevant for the topic that you are trying to rank for is much tougher. I've made it profitable. So it's not like I lost money or it didn't, it didn't work, but it was five to 10 times the work in order to get the, get it profitable. Yep. That's a good way to put it. And most people, as you know, they would never follow through as far as you did with the, uh, you're, you're a stubborn man, I could tell. Um, <laughs> yes. So like you published the 500 articles, you invested you know, probably thousands, thousands of dollars into it just on content without the guarantee, right? Like we're all taking a risk, investing our time and and energy and money into it. It's great that you got it profitable, but at the same time, like, like you're saying, it was just more work than it needed to be potentially. Yeah. Well, my smaller site up until just recently only had about 70 articles on it, yet it made more money than my larger site. So just to emphasize again, so it's like 70 articles versus 500 and something. And it it was more profitable. That tells you exactly what you need to know. (laughs) I haven't decided yet whether I'm I'm going to do something with the larger site. I don't know if I'm going to sell it. 
I might sell it. It's profitable, making about $1,000 a month. So I could make a little bit of change off of it. Or if I'm going to break it down into about three different niche sites. Now, so I haven't decided yet. Now, there, I can't remember the name of the site, but there was a large site, like wire cutter size, and they they were acquired and the new owners broke it up to like six new sites. What was the name of it? About.com, I think. Okay. Uh, they had... They switched it to, oh, yeah, there's about six different sites. Now I can't think of the yeah. names off the top of my well, head. I think it's like Life something. LifeWire is one of them. LifeWire, okay. Yeah. So so the point is um, they, like About.com, obviously had like a crazy amount of content all over the place. And they were like, hey, like let's try this. Maybe it was a lot more strategic. I'm summarizing. Mm -hmm. I, I read the headline, right. but I didn't read the whole article. <laughs> right. So basically they split it up in like profit traffic. Like you could see it. If you just do some investigating, you could see the growth that they had. So it's an interesting idea. And you, you said it's making about a thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Okay. What's the other site making? It makes between a thousand and 15 now. Okay. So you're about 2000, 2500 consistently. Yep. Nice. Yeah. And you started the older site at the end of 2017. So within a little, like in about 18 months ish. 18 months. You, you're, you hit about $2,000 a month. Yeah. Nice. Very, very cool. So with the amount of content that you published on uh, the larger site, from a content standpoint, what did you learn about, you know, hiring writers, working with writers, just running that machine of content? Well, I started off by trying the up, Upwork method and hired writers. And honestly, I could not find ones that did a good enough job. Mm -hmm. I kept on get, they would say they were native English speakers, send me something that looked good. And then when I got the real product, it was not nearly as good and it wasn't native English speakers. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they were farming it out to somebody else or what, but anyways, so eventually I got frustrated with Upwork and I went to a content broker, a company, and they have done an excellent job for me. And so for about 20, well, I pay $20 a thousand mm -hmm. for a thousand words and they produce great content. Okay. I, as good or better than I could. Okay, cool. We won't mention it right here, but we'll discuss <laughs> after and then include a link if uh, appropriate. So right. put it that way. Yeah, later on, I saw that John Dykstra also uses them. So Okay, cool. Friend of the show, good guy, John. So, yeah. okay, very good. So you started using the content broker, good deal, high quality. So Yep, and that's, I still do all my own formatting and publishing, but that's kind of, I don't know if that's me not wanting to delegate or if that's because I really like to do it, but that's where I put in my SEO stuff to make it search engine friendly. So sure. I don't ask the writer to be an SEO. In fact, I give them no SEO instructions. I just ask them to write. Then I put in the SEO. Perfect. Okay, cool. And I think it's, I mean, it's good. Like at some point you have to like do the QA, the quality assurance at some point. So that right. is, a, it's a fine time to do it. Right. And then you could put in the portion, right. The SEO expertise that you don't want to outsource. That's, that's your special specialty. Right. So, yeah. well, on to SEO, when you get the content, actually just take us through the process. What format do you get it in? How do you upload it? Like what, 
what are you doing for the SEO portion? I get it in a Word docs format and I just, uh, I'll put in the title. A lot of times, a lot of times I've just given them the keyword as the title. So they have the keyword and then I'll rewrite the title. So I'll put in the title, you know, and I make sure that it, the keywords in the title and in the URL and the meta title, you know, meta, whatever, H1, all that stuff, which WordPress normally does for you automatically. My sites are running and we've, you've mentioned this theme before, but they're running on the rehub theme. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and it uses WordPress bakery. It used to be called visual composer or whatever. So instead of using the new Gutenberg, I just switch it over to visual composer and I'll just paste the article into the, the content area. Then I'll add an H2 that has the keyword in it. I will make sure that the keyword is in the content once. There will be variations of the keywords in H3s. I'll put in an original image. Uh, in fact, I use a Pinterest optimized image, so it's mm -hmm. a vertical image instead of horizontal. And I'll put sometimes, it all depends if I'm getting lazy or not, but I'll put the keyword in the alt tag of the image yep. and usually it's best read widgets image right, right. <laughs> and that's that's my uh alt tag. okay good yeah good. all right and then like what you do i'll the first mention of the product i'll link it to amazon then under features i have a content box that I get from content egg mm -hmm. that shows features price and images all you know you can tab through them and see everything and then i'll go through and i'll list it once more in a little call to action box at the bottom of the article okay good so to summarize some of the like technical stuff so you, you're using the rehub theme yes okay which I, i've talked about a lot but partially um, because you and i discussed it before i heard it from a couple uh students in five figure niche site and then i checked it out and it's a great theme it has the visual or the WP bakery. So you can do some, yeah. you know, some custom design if you want to. And then you mentioned content egg. So what is that for the people that don't know? That is also a plugin. There's a free version and a paid version. It works in conjunction with the rehab theme. They've, they've collaborated together. What that does is it pulls all the Amazon API information for you. You can do it right from the back end. You can put in your product, your ASIN number, it'll pull it right up. You can put in a short code and it gives you a nice little call to action box or information box of some kind, that type of thing. Okay. The thing I, I like about it the most, it's back end of the plugin itself, is it has a tab for all the products that you are covering in your website. And it'll tell you which products are out of stock or discontinued, and you can just go there and replace them and keep it all up to date. And it's a thousand times faster than trying to do that manually. Beautiful. Yeah, I can't. I mean, that is an auditing situation if you want to solve that on your own without a tool. Yeah. So yeah. with the paid version of Content Ag, like, uh, is that what you get, like the extra checking? Well, uh, yes. With the paid version, you get the extra checking. You also get eBay, uh, Walmart. You can have, I mean, almost every affiliate program out there, it has connection to their a APIs. 
I use eBay because on my reviews, I give a price comparison. So they can either go to Amazon or they can go to eBay, whoever has the cheapest price. Nice. So in what what's the payout typically on the eBay side? How's that work? eBay is different. They pay you a percentage of their profit instead of a percentage of the total sale. They pay you a percentage of the profit that they make. It has came out to be very comparable to Amazon. I'm usually between 5 and 6% of the sale price on okay. eBay. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. Is there anything else uh, on the content side or on-page SEO that's worth mentioning? One of the things I'm doing, and especially working on the small site, is – there's uh, your dog. I can't remember his name. Jo- Georgie is Georgie. Uh, she's yes. sensing something in the front. Someone closed the door. <laughs> Anyways, one of the things that WordPress Bakery allows you to do, especially as it's fitted with the rehab theme, is you can actually do your own related content at the bottom of the post. So you just pull it up, you can do manual, then it'll search for, you know, you can put in like, say, well, put in red widgets. And every article on red widget, it'll pull it up and you can start adding them. So you have control of your related content. You can do it once. It's Mm -hmm. done. It's not done by a plugin and it's done relevantly. Yeah. So... that's very important. It, on my small site, I get uh, well. I get 1.8 actions per visitor. Either it's pages, or it's click-throughs to Amazon or eBay, or it is some type of they have completed a task of some time on my website. And how do you track that? How do you track actions per user? Well, I was using Google Analytics up until this month. You can set up an event in Google Analytics. And you can set it up to track all outbound links, or you can set it up to track links to a certain domain, which then you put in Amazon.com. You can set it up to, well, it already tracks page views, but you can set it up to track downloads, all kinds of things. So you use events. And then I also use an adjusted bounce rate event, which is a timer. Mm -hmm. And it, so it'll ping the browser that the person's using every 15 seconds. So you get a much more accurate time on site. And if they've engaged in your content at least 15 seconds, I feel they've engaged with your content and didn't just come there and go, ooh, this is ugly, and bounce back. <laughs> a lot of people ask about how to track this stuff. Was it pretty easy for you to set up? I used Google Tag Manager, which there is a couple good tutorials on YouTube. And also, if you're a reader, you know, search setting up Google Tag Manager. Uh, anal- the analytics clo- code is harder, so I use Google Tag Manager. Recently, I just switched. I was dealt with some negative SEO over the the last year. Some people just got jealous or wanted to make it fail or whatever. Right. Uh, after I did a couple interviews, and I see them come and find me. I mean, I'm too transparent, but that's okay. I dealt with negative SEO, and I was dealing with a negative SEO attack, I believe, where they were sending bounce bots to my site to bounce in and bounce out to give me bad user metrics mm-hmm. with Google. 
and that was being tracked. The only thing it could have been tracking because they were coming in actually using it was obvious they were bots. They were using Microsoft Internet Explorer 9 and Windows NT or Windows Vista or Windows 7. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who uses <laughs> Windows Vista right. anymore? Yeah, come on. So they were obviously on a old machine that they were just, you know, they did a program. Well, I got concerned. I would see that my Google referral traffic would drop when these guys would come and do their little thing. So I eventually switched, and I switched out of analytics and switched to server side of uh, PWIC. It's called Matomo, but mm-hmm. they provide the server, and so uh, and it has all the same analytics, and it's nine bucks a month, so no biggie. And so by doing that, does that like well re- remove the effectiveness of the bounce SEO? I'm not sure. I am assuming. That Google, you, they have said they don't, but I never believe anything Google says they don't do. They say they don't use analytics, but I noticed that it was affecting my traffic. My guess is, is they may use analytics as a confirming signal, maybe not a ranking signal, mm-hmm. but a confirming signal, which would be, okay, we think we should rank it here. What does analytics show? Sure. Interesting. That's that's my guess. And that's just a guess and I could be wearing a tinfoil hat, you know. Right. There's so many factors in like, you know, the correlation and it's like, ah, who knows. So what what yeah. was the name of the analytics tool? It's Pwick. You know, Pwick's been around forever, but you used to have to put it on your own server in order to get it to run. It is called Matomo, M-A-T-O-M-O. I typically stick to analytics for simplicity. And then I've actually never, even as data-driven as I am, I've never gotten into tracking the clicks and the activity and stuff on the site as much. But um, a few months ago, you know, I, I try and keep up with folks, e- even if I don't do like a proper update. But you were telling me about some of the Pinterest experiments that you were doing. And because you had things set up like like you mentioned, with a tag manager, you were able to get some decent data from the Pinterest stuff that you're working on. So tell me about what you did and some of the findings that you have so far. What I did, I already had the article. So people who are doing this, if they're just starting out, they probably won't see the increase as quickly as I had it. I redid all my featured images on the website to a 600 by 900 pixel featured image. Now that's not, when they come to my site, they don't get blasted with this huge featured image before they can see anything. I've, in fact, I don't even have a featured image at the top. Uh, It's just the website header and then the title. But then in the content, I have a narrowed down or a, a smaller version of that featured image in the content near the top. I did that for all the articles. I had an old Pinterest account that I fired back up, and I did keyword-rich description for the account. Then I did 22 boards for each product line, and those were keyword-rich both in the title and the description. And then each pin, basically I used my Google meta description, mm-hmm. you know, where you put in the 150 characters or whatever for Google. I used that as my pin description and then did relevant hashtags with it. And so I started out, I was getting just 
a trickle of traffic without doing anything between one and five visitors per week. And I grew that in three months to 100 visitors per day. And that happened at the time when Google started all their updates in August, you know, Medic mm-hmm. and whatever. Sometimes I would get dinged, sometimes I wouldn't get dinged, but it irritates me when Google does updates and I haven't been doing anything wrong and I get dinged. And so I decided I was going to have a second source of traffic. Right. And so that's what I did. Now, it is not the same as Facebook or Twitter or those social media. It is actually a visual search engine. People go to Pinterest to find out how to do things and to learn about what they need for projects they have and everything else. And it's not just women. Believe it or not, I have 45% men and 55% women that look at my profile, which is I got a higher percentage of men than women compared to the site, but there's enough men on there to make it worth your while. And it's not all recipes and you know, Etsy crafts. Some of my pins are getting repinned like crazy because they're beautiful images of the product. So I did that and then I used, there's a free version of it and then a paid version of it, but a program called Tailwind that is a scheduler for Pinterest and Instagram, but I use it for Pinterest. It makes my workload about an hour per month in pinning and repinning content and doing the strategies. And basically the strategy is have your own boards, have boards that are related. Say for instance, you're into lawn care and you're pushing lawnmowers. Well, then you can have an uh, outdoor barbecue board because people barbecue on their lawns or barbecue in their yards and you attract similar type of customers to what your products would be geared towards. Nice. So, so think I, of the audience, think of the market, not just yes, the, the not, product. Exactly. Think of your market. Who is Who would buy your product? Then think of what else would they be interested in? That it doesn't have to be you. Then you can bring in pins from other people who are fitting that niche. They, in turn, will do the same for you, and pretty soon you've developed a network, and you don't have to talk to anybody. (laughs) Which is the goal. That's our goal anyway, right? Yes. Okay, cool. It's funny because... You know, we were chatting beforehand and I'm doing some updates with other people. Everyone is like so interested in Pinterest. There's a student of mine, she's in town. So I invited her over. You'll hear it on the podcast seat on the YouTube channel as well. But we were sitting right here earlier and she was telling me about Pinterest. She was telling me about Tailwind and like the exactly what you're saying. She spends a little time each month. She batches it. She sets up her whole month and then like it's set. Yeah. I spend about an hour a month. You said you went from like basically, you know, a few visitors a day from Pinterest to about a hundred within three months. So has Uh it leveled off or does it grow? It actually has declined a little bit since Christmas is over, but everybody I've talked to that does Pinterest says that's normal, but it is steadily growing. I mean, it dropped down to like 70, but it's still 70 to 90 and it's, it's still growing. Okay. So- Cool. Now, did you notice a correlation between the posts that were being pinned or the most activity with their ranking? So was there a correlation between those? The correlation I've seen is the more engagement your pin gets, the higher it will rank in the Pinterest search traffic. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. It really has very little to do it, – it has to do with the relevancy of your description and title, but it has little to do with what you've done on your website and how great your website is. It is more about the engagement of that pin. So in all honesty, you could have a really crappy website and make this great pin and you'll drive traffic from that point of view like it's all about that image right yes so how did you create the images did you do it yourself did you outsource it i outsourced the first batch again didn't like too much what i got so then i went and found lifewire's cousin it was in the same niche it's i don't remember the name of it but it's one of the other about.com i found their Pinterest board and looked at their pins and they're all, uh, it's obviously it's Madison Avenue. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've paid somebody to do their pins. So then I went and took their format, not their images, but their format, how their styling and stuff. And I went and duplicated it in Adobe Illustrator and used that different colors, you know, different fonts, but basically the same format. Okay, cool. And that's interesting. So you found something that was working and then you emulated it without copying it, which I'm sure, I mean, yes. there's hardly anything original. I'm sure they got that yeah. from somewhere else, right? So Yeah. And then I've done some experimentation since, and I've actually found a really good review template to use. So I'm now using that. Okay, like review template, like for what? for review for review posts, instead of a best list for a review post. Basically, a big, huge, beautiful image of the product. Underneath it, with a gray gradient, I have just the product name, like uh, the the Acme Red Bomb, you know. Mm-hmm. And then uh, below that, I have in my branding colors i have the name of my website oh and then i have a small under the title i have a small italic uh, product review and comparison in smaller font and italic so they know it's a product review and comparison price comparison and that's working great okay very cool and um, just to rewind, so you said you had a decent amount of content when you first started on Pinterest. So how, how many posts did you have? I was up to the 540 mark. Oh, okay. So did you... Before I started. How did you decide what to create pins for? I did it for everything. Everything. So just 100%. And then did you put everything into rotation? And I understand Tailwind has some intelligence so you could repin yes. the good stuff, right? Yes. I pinned directly to my boards first. Uh, So I do about 10 a day, 10 to 20 a day. I might do 10 in the morning, 10 at night until I got all my pins on there. Then I started rotating them through tailwind and pinning them to relevant boards and that kind of stuff. Okay. But I pin directly first. Okay. Don't use tailwind to start the pin. Use it to pin from Pinterest. Okay. And at this point, we're getting to area, which I don't even know what you're talking about, but I, I understand. So you, you create <laughs> your, your eyes are glassing yeah. over. <laughs> so you create your own. I, yeah, I could care less about Pinterest, but I think I'm going to get into it since I've heard about it so much. And I'm like, ah, you know what? There's probably an affiliate program for Tailwind, right? So I'll, ch- I'll check it out. You create your own boards. You created 22 of them. You populated each of those boards with all of your 530 posts. And then after that, you started pinning other stuff 
into your boards also? Not into my own personal boards that okay. have my products. I created relevant boards, pinned other products plus my products into those boards. Okay. Uh, other people's pins plus mine. Gotcha. So the, the 22, <laughs> we'll struggle through this together. So the 22 boards you filled with your own stuff, and then you created other boards. Yes. In which you pinned other people's stuff as well as yours. Yeah. For instance, okay. Uh, if you had, let's, let's say use fruits. fruits, let's use fruits like okay, pears fruits. and apples and bananas. Okay. <laughs> so let's say you have pears, apples, and bananas boards. Then you could have a tree horticulture board. You could pin your articles from pears, apples, and bananas. I don't know if bananas come. Yeah. Bananas come from trees. Yeah. And, uh, also, you know, maples and, that other people are doing plus tree care and pesticide or pruning or whatever you do into that board. You could then have say a, a fruit recipes board where, you know, make fruit salad and how to make apple pie and different things. And you can do your apple and your fruit mm-hmm. into that one as well. Honestly, if you're thinking about your target audience and what they're going to use stuff for and what they're going to do around the stuff, you can have an endless amount of boards. Okay. And do you cre- keep creating new boards or are you kind of, you're happy with where it's at right now? I'm happy where it's at right now. When I started doing Tailwind more, I found I had I was lacking in some categories. And I can just tell you these categories because they have nothing to do with, they have to do with my audience, but not with my site. You know, there's a lot of clothing websites that use Pinterest. So I did a clothing deals. I'm never going to review a piece of clothing, but I'll do clothing deals. I have electronics. That's a <laughs> yeah. broad and I have some of my stuff in that and a lot of other people's stuff. I have jewelry mm-hmm. and home crafts and uh, food tips. These are all things that would be around sure. some of my products. So like when you start pinning other people's stuff, do they see that you pinned it and then they'll check out your stuff potentially? At times. and okay. times they'll follow you. And okay. the good thing about Pinterest it doesn't matter if you have one follower, hundred thousand followers. Honestly, Pinterest doesn't use that anymore in their search rankings, which is what you want. Mm-hmm. Is their search rankings? Okay, cool. Because I, I mean, I, I remember <coughs> there was a stretch where I, I recall, you know, it was a very big deal to have so many followers. But I guess they've changed up their algorithm a bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's based on the relevancy of the pin and people's reaction to it. Okay. Interesting. Very good. And like I said, I'll have to, I'll have to get into it now that I've heard tailwind like multiple times already in the last couple of days. The nice thing about Pinterest is actually it converts better than Google traffic. It is not a lot better, but it's a couple percentage points higher than Google traffic. Okay. And the, and this is tying it all back together. Thanks, Duke. So basically you were keeping good track with the Google tag manager. So you saw that at least more people were clicking over to To Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't track it past that. I look at it as I've done my job. If I've gotten somebody to click to Amazon, Mm -hmm. but what we can take away, right? So let's say someone hasn't started a site yet. They start a site, they get maybe 30 pieces of content on there pretty quickly. Maybe they need to get more on there, but they get some content published. They can start 
pinning stuff, they could start that activity and potentially mm-hmm. get traffic, you know, long before they're going to get sure. much traffic from Google. Exactly. In my head, that was one of the things I was trying to figure out is if I was going, because I got some guys that want me to teach this stuff to them. I'm not pastoring a church right now, but old members of my last church, and they want me to teach this stuff. How do I get them to get some traffic even sooner than the six-month mark or Ricky and Jim's eight-month mark or whatever? You know, How do you get it? And Pinterest is the way you can get quicker traffic. Yep. And the Christy, uh, like I was talking about earlier, who lives in town, her site, she started it in like mid-October. She's getting, you know, some traffic from Google, but she's been able to really take advantage of like Pinterest traffic um, primarily through Mm -hmm. just smart outreach and being active on Pinterest. So she has like quite a bit more traffic than most people would have in, you know, three months time because she's like taking advantage of Pinterest. Like, you know, it's not going viral, but it's like big for a brand new site because again, outreach, smart connections and like being active and and trying. So interesting. Okay. So one final thing. So you were um, at very little traffic. You started with Pinterest. You got up to about a hundred visitors from Pinterest per day. Like what was the buildup like? Like how long did it take for it to start working? It took about a month to start seeing a difference. And it was, I don't know, 25 or so. And it kind of jumped. It was 25 or so. Then, you know, next week it was 35. And then the next week it was 50. Mm -hmm. And kind of that, you know. Hockey stick. Hockey stick, yes. uh, Gotcha. Type thing. Yeah, and I I have heard um, a couple people mention there seems to be like a sandbox period for Pinterest where they, you know, you have to earn your credibility before they start, you know, pushing your stuff a little bit more. So, so maybe that month, month or so. Could have been. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. So from a link building standpoint, can you tell us a little bit about what you've done there? On the big site, I used a couple services to acquire some guest posts. I did 20 guest posts to the large site. I also used another guy I know who got me 10 newspaper, you know, local newspaper links as well. And other than that, I basically did Pinterest is the only social network I ever see in Google Analytics. Okay. Or not analytics, Google Google Search Console. At least a portion of your Pinterest links in Search Console. So yep. that's all I did. And the little site, I didn't do a darn thing. In fact, I didn't really do much to it at all for almost the entire year. I'm doing stuff to it now, but I didn't do stuff to it almost the entire year. Just let it cruise along because I was bound and determined I was going to make that large site pay. <laughs> I wasn't going right. to lose my money. <laughs> right, right. Interesting. So for the smaller site, uh, basically no link building at all, right? No. Okay. No. And then is that keyword golden ratio based or is it some like something else? Probably, probably 30% keyword golden ratio based. The rest was just keyword research. I started off using keyword finder. I don't use it anymore. Keyword finder works fine for informational articles. I think it fails some with uh, buyers keywords it does its keyword competition tool metrics doesn't work as well okay cool so that's what i did some of them were pillar posts i got a couple really huge 
pillar posts and some best lists and not a lot of product reviews, but that's changing. So, so it sounds like since you did a lot of, you did a lot of link building for the larger site and then you haven't been doing as much and you're making more money on the smaller site. So it sounds like maybe you're not that interested in doing link building. Is that accurate? I've never been interested in it. And at this point, I'm just not seeing the return on it. There was a time when I used to be able to build links and rank. Mm -hmm. You know, you would see movement. I haven't seen any movement. And so I'm looking at it from a business standpoint, and I can spend $1,000 link building, or I can spend $1,000 on content. Well, $1,000 of content is going to make me more money than the $1,000 of link building. Uh, that's just the way I've seen it at this point. If if somebody can show me different, I'd love it, but I can't figure it out. Right. Well, then the other thing is basically whatever you want someone to show you, there's someone who's selling you something who could show you <laughs> something yeah. that'll make you want to buy whatever they're selling. So I totally understand what you're saying. And I think, I mean, for a lot of people, the link building portion like you said, you've never been interested in link building. That's not as fun. If you find it fun, like you're in a rare group, uh, a, a lot of my friends, they do enjoy the link building part of it and just the outreach part of it and blah, blah, blah. My observations anecdotally over the last you know year, 18 months or something is like the links take a while to kick in and it's like you have to be consistently getting links over three months, six months, nine months. And then like the links don't kick in all the way, maybe for a year. So it's like you do all this stuff and it's hard to tell probably because, you know, people like you and I in the past, we built a lot of links and we would see things happen. We would adjust the anchor text. We would add more links and you could just see what worked and then you could abuse um, the system where... With a long enough timeline, it takes the ROI out of it so that you're left to do something, you know, hopefully that makes the internet a better place versus like, you know, building links that are garbage. So yeah, I think there's a lot of randomness into it and links still help, of course, but it's like, it's hard to tell like what links are helping. And then there's other factors too, right? I think maybe, right? Don't necessarily do this, Duke, but I'm thinking... The larger site, maybe it was so competitive that the links that you got were maybe like just a drop in a sea of many other you know sites that had tons of links were like your smaller niche, like you're ranking without links. Like what if you had a couple links to a couple pages that needed it? I don't know. That could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Is there anything uh that you know interesting going on that you wanna that I didn't ask about that? Not really, other than I'm basically doing this full-time now. We were already set up fairly well. We, sure. you know, done Dave Ramsey's course. You know, my wife's really good with saving money and not going in debt and all that stuff. So we're, we're debt-free. So we're able to do this full-time now. So it was 18 months to get to the point. Uh, other than that, I, I don't know. I just I think it, we're doing good. You know, it's fun to be in it and doing it. I've been blogging since 2011, and I have worked at numerous different ways of trying to monetize my efforts on the internet until I came across you and Human Proof Designs and Authority Hacker. I had not cracked the code yet. 
mm. of how to do it. My biggest website, which is my blog, gets, well, it's probably at 50,000 visitors a month, but it only makes $450 a month on advertising. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? So yeah. the return on investment with the niche sites, it's been good for me. It's been a life changer for me. Nice. Very good. Well, that's cool. That's good to hear overall. And the podcast, which we're going to put this both on, if you're watching this, yeah. it's on the podcast too. And then okay. um, for people that are listening to the podcast, we're putting it on the YouTube channel. So there's some cross pollination, but we have the luxury of covering and, and talking about whatever we want. So the financial independence could be cool for us to talk about sometime in the future, Duke. Yeah. So if, if people are interested, yeah. please let us know. My wife is really good with numbers too. <laughs> so hopefully <laughs> uh, we'll be in the position you're in sometime soon. So just to close it up, for people that maybe, let's aim at people that maybe haven't started a site yet and they're thinking about it. So what advice would you give the budding entrepreneur interested in affiliate marketing? The first thing I would do is get products out of your head. Don't go, I like fishing poles. Instead go, I really love to fish. How can I make a website that is great about fishing or golfing, canoeing, whatever it is you're into or something you'd be interested in? A product focus just becomes much more difficult to compete and to monetize or get a good return on investment. Secondly, quit worrying about getting it all right. Instead, just do it. I learned huge valuable lessons in my second site, uh, the large site, that I'm now applying to the first site that's going to take it to the next level. Mm. Start doing it. You learn by doing. You can't learn by watching another video, you got to start putting it to practice. And that's what I love about Jim and Ricky. I disagree with a lot of what they say, uh, to be very honest, but I love that they're encouragers that encourage people to get in there and do it. And that's why they're successful. So yep. well said. So to quickly summarize, like take action, you're going to make mistakes. You can fix it later. And um, that's the core piece, right? As long as you're doing something, moving a little bit forward, you're going to figure it out. Yeah. My first blog in 2011 was a blogger blog, and it was just, it was ugly. It's a mess. <laughs> yeah. I it remember was ugly. those. Yeah, I yes. think I had one of those too. That's funny. All right. Yeah. Well, Duke, thanks again. It's been a pleasure uh, catching up. And yeah, um, yeah we'll uh, maybe get something else out on the calendar sometime soon. So have a great day and you know, really appreciate guy. it. Okay, take care.